we go. Hello and welcome to our next episode of the especially interesting podcast from Orcademy. We are Yay. your hosts, David Gray Hammond and Tigger Pritchard. And today we're here with Julie Bouchonville. Um, so Julie, who are you and what what are we talking about? Well, like you said, my name is Julie Bouchonville. I'm uh, French. I live uh, in France. And I'm a writer and writing teacher. So today we're talking about story structuring. Fantastic. I, uh, I do love a good novel myself. So we all like, do. like I said, David's been looking forward to this one because he really gets some of his, his um, awesome specializations there. I'd like to ask, as I always do, when did you realize or discover that you're awesomely autistic? Uh, well, there were suspicions from a very young age because I was uh, quite a little weirdo, uh, but uh, it was only uh, informally diagnosed when I was uh, in my early 20s, so a few years ago. Cool. Thank you. Oh, and before we move forward, Julie did ask us to mention that English is not her first language. Um, I'm sure it's, it's not going to be a problem, but obviously... English is not her first language, so <laughs> yeah, take I that might as say you something wonky. <laughs> okay, um, so let's uh, let's let's get into it, shall we? So, Julie, can anyone write a novel, even autistic people? Obviously, yes. It's not magic. Uh, learning can help, but yes, anyone can. Uh, I myself an autistic writer, as uh, you've gathered. And I often get told off by my editor for not doing some things that she expects or doing too much of those things. Uh, but yeah, there are challenges. Anyone can do it still. You just need to learn and to overcome your, overcome your challenges. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, that's a, that's about it. Sorry. Uh, that's, that, that's lush. That's lush. I mean, from from my viewpoint, was it something that you, you knew about very early on, or did you did you then go to to, to classes to learn to get better at writing? Uh, so yeah, you can totally take some classes or just learn in different ways. Uh, so of course, I'm a writing teacher, so I strongly suggest you contact a writing teacher. But that just uh, teaching for my own church. Um, so you can uh, learn in different ways. So there are online classes like masterclass types, like uh, Skillshare or something like that. Uh, you can go to uh, workshops in person. Uh, you can take lessons one-on-one -on -one with a teacher. You can just read books uh, written by like the, the masters of the craft and basically learn like that. Some technique will help. You can also just wing it, but I don't really recommend that because it's always better to have at least a basis in uh, in theory. Cool, thank you. So, with that in mind, um, are all stories structured? Is is that something that's mandatory or? Yeah, uh, basically, they all are structured in some way. Not so much because there is a rule that says that you have to structure your story. Um, but because it just makes sense and we're also used to the structure that we will recreate it whether we want it or not. Uh, when uh, you show people a story that doesn't follow the typical structure rules, 
uh, not only will you have a hard time finding such a story because it's really not that common, um, but people will feel that, it, um, that it's really weird and just doesn't really work so much. Uh, children's stories sometimes will deviate from that type of structure and that's why a lot of children's stories will sometimes feel weird to adults because there's just not that skeleton there. Does, 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 does genre impact upon that structure? Or does it just go across the board? Exactly. We'd be surprised by how little genre will impact structure. It's really like, uh, like flavors in ice cream. You have strawberry ice cream and you have pistachio ice cream and you think they are very different, but actually they're the same basic recipe. It's just the flavoring that changes. Uh, mostly what a structure implies, it's a series of steps and the weight you're going to give to each of those steps will, di will differ, 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 depending on the genre. So uh, for instance, you've got a step that's sometimes called the metaphorical, metaphorical death of hero. And that means that it's the moment where your protagonist will feel uh, like they lost everything, they abandon all hope, and they're just defeated and beaten. And in a romantic comedy, this type of uh, this step will not have a lot of weight because the hero will just mope around for some while and then spring back. While in fantasy, you could have a not very metaphorical death. You could have your hero that actually dies and is brought back in some way, or is just uh, hurt and uh, really impacted. So you see, it, it's all a matter of weight and the weight you will give to each of those steps, but really the steps themselves don't move. And even the media doesn't really impact structure. You will have a similar structure with uh, all types of stories, uh, no matter whether they're uh, novels or plays or movie scripts, uh, even like commercials and D&D &D campaigns, all of that, same structure. Lush. That's uh, that's pretty fascinating, actually. I mean, I, I guess I hadn't stopped to think about it too much before, but now that you've said it like that, I can I can I can see it in in everything I've read and watched. You know, there's there there is that that yep. structure that they all they all seem to follow. So, how how do you obtain a good structure? Do all writers need to make a plan, or not necessarily? Actually, you get a good structure by thinking about it mostly and not just like rushing ahead headfirst into an idea. So that thinking about part, it can be more or less formal depending on the type of person you are and uh, to some extent, the type of story you're going to tell. Some writers just consider stuff in their heads. Some writers feel the need to plan everything and have like sticky notes and arrows and uh, little notes and everything and a big plan like on a wall with red string ideally and so on. Uh, so for instance, uh, Stephen King and Margaret Atwood, they're writers who will shun, absolutely shun making a plan. And uh, I think Stephen King said something like stories that were made with plan just feel stale to him. Um, and uh, Atwood said something like, it's like um, painting by numbers to use a plan. So not very nice. Uh, but I would argue that these two writers probably have a very strong uh, narrative instinct, which will allow them to sort of uh, avoid most of the mistakes that the plan, the plan is there to avoid, to make sure you don't make. 
so they don't fall into those traps uh, just because they have a very good instinct. And yet sometimes they do some of the stuff that the plan is supposed to prevent, like uh, rambling on too long or adding some parts that you don't really feel should be there as a reader. That's, that's debatable, but anyway. So yeah, the plan will prevent you from making some mistakes. It's not magic. It won't turn your story into an instant bestseller if it wasn't perfect, but it does help. And I think also the beauty of a plan is that you can choose to follow it or not. And when you don't have one, well, you only have one option there. So uh, as a writer, you don't have a huge toolbox. I think it's not very wise to just take away one tool from that toolbox. It's, uh, it's so interesting that you mentioned the plan being there um, to, to help not have things that the reader feel is unnecessary. Because I think of some of the books I've read, I mean, I think most most famously and i think tigger knows what i'm going to say tolkien um tolkien you know the lord of the rings where he'll spend half a chapter discussing the way that the grass is moving in the wind um that i mean i i love the detail in that but i can also see why it might put some readers off Um, yeah yeah exactly it's a it's a preference I knew you were going to mention Lord of the Rings at some point tonight. I must confess, oh, at some hey, point we're, we're talking about novels. Would. I can't not mention <laughs> Tolkien. So yeah, true. You, you just have to. So, so help me out here. What what exactly would you say is the structure of a book? Can you define it? Define it, maybe not, but I can sort of give you the shape of it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say a structure and what most people will mean by a structure, this is it. It's a story and a story has an arc. What is an arc? It's a list of stuff that will happen to a character and that will lead to some sort of change. Emotions will be involved and that story will have a very identifiable, yes, beginning, middle and end. So these three are the major steps, but it's actually a bit more complex than that, uh, as I'm sure you've guessed. Uh, John Truby, who's like big master of the thing, um, he formalized a list of 22 steps. Uh, When I teach, I uh, have condensed that list to 17 steps, just because it feels more fluid and uh, 17 is a prime number, which is better, obviously. So uh, I'm not going to list them all. Don't worry. I know we, we're not on a seven hours time frame. Uh, but basically, most people already know those steps, even if they never thought about them in a very formal way. Uh, you have your hero who's in an initial situation that is balanced, doesn't require them to take big decisions. Then something happens to shatter that equilibrium. Now the hero has to react. They're going to try a bunch of stuff to get to their goal. A lot of that stuff isn't going to work at some point. It's going to fail, often because of an opponent that won the same goal for themselves. And then it will look like all hope is lost. But in the end, we will either triumph or we will have some form of closure. And if you were in a story uh, where the hero is supposed to grow and learn, they start with a certain mindset and a certain belief system. And at the end of the story, they will have outgrown that belief system. Usually, they will become a better person, but occasionally, like uh, Michael in The Godfather, 
uh, they can mm -hmm. become a worse person if the story requires that. And I can remember reading years ago, this is coming back to me, that's why I was nodding while you were talking. I read something, I don't remember the author, but I think it was, it was is it something called The Hero's Journey? Is it by someone called Campbell? That is Campbell indeed, yes. And, it, and I, think, I think I got into it because it was linked to Star Wars. And it was very much that George Lucas had used that book to show the journey of the hero through various stages, redemption, loss, so on and so forth. And I looked at that as a hero. So I've forgotten all about that book. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the classic uh, classics of the, the story teaching. It's basically to show that, yes, those very uh, classical caricatural heroes basically all have the same story. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Fantastic. Um, so do characters have to be structured too, or can you just do a regular self-insert and be happy with it? <laughs> so you can totally do a self-insert. That's fair. I think we all start there at some point, writing fan fiction in class. Uh, but most more seriously, um, any protagonist will do the job. Any character can be supporting cast. Uh, as long as there's a character there to do the job, somehow it's going to work. Uh, but that being said, it's a bit like uh, screws. Can you screw something with a kitchen knife? Yes. Is it going to work better with the proper screwdriver? Absolutely, yes. So you can pick just any old character, but it works better if you design them a bit. Uh, so usually what we try to do is to pick a main character that has one out of two things. Either they're the perfect person to learn the lesson we want to teach, either they're the perfect teacher. First case is really logical, but it's still something that uh, beginning writers will struggle with. Uh, so uh, for instance, let's pick Woody from the first movie, Toy Story. Uh, movies are generally quite well structured because they fall apart if they're not. So they, they have a bit less uh, working room than books. So you've got Woody, who's the main protagonist. The movie is about Woody learning that he doesn't need to be Andy's only favorite toy to still be loved. How do you write Woody before he's learned his lesson? Well, you make him angry at Buzz and Loki terrified that he's going to get thrown away. And since Buzz is going to become his friend and sort of like his second in comment, uh, you also make sure that at first Woody is lonely in his relationship with the other toys because he can't really confide in them. So you make your main character the type of person who's going to have a really hard time learning the lesson you want to teach because that's what's going to be interesting. If he learns in 10 seconds, there's no story there. It has to be a bit hard. And uh, for the second case, you need a good teacher. So you need a main character that doesn't change, but will change the world around them. And that requires a certain personality type. So they have to have a very firm, very intimate grasp of whatever it is they're going to teach also. Uh, the example I usually take there is uh, Maximus from Gladiator. So the character comes and he basically shakes the world he's been thrown into. He never changed and he doesn't need to. To accentuate the fact, actually, that he never doubts himself uh, the, in the script, the truth he knows isn't something psychological or emotional, like, you know, uh, from, uh, from Moody and his, uh, I need to trust, I'm going to be loved. That's a bit more emotional. 
For Maximus, it's just a simple fact. It's the emperor is a piece of shit. That's just fact. You can't really argue with that or say maybe not. Uh, so these are your two main character flavors. Uh, and you can riff of that the, oh, riff of that any way you like. It's still going to work. And that's the basic character structure. Does that work with antagonists and villains as well? Or is it, is it different Absolutely. there? Absolutely, yep. For everyone. Uh, so your, your villain needs to be structured too, and that's something most people will actually forget. Uh, and often you'll end up with a villain that's basically a, a kindergarten bully who's just mean to be mean because they want to be mean. Uh, but you shouldn't do that. That's just bad storytelling and your story is going to fall apart. So your villain actually needs to have a goal that ideally should be the same goal as your main character your main protagonist, so they will interact a lot because if they have goals that are absolute opposites, they just are never gonna meet. Um, and you also need to uh, really understand them and make them a real person, basically. Uh, something I absolutely recommend reading is uh, Lainey Taylor's uh, Strange the Dreamer series. It's a series in two tones, uh, and she's very great at that because there are several stories intermeshed in those two tones and the protagonists of some of the stories are actually the villains of other stories in the same book. So that means you have to have absolute empathy with your villain and uh, you really understand them as a reader and that just absolutely plays with your emotional dials. It's really well made. I recommend really reading those two books. Thank you. Um, so thinking about all of this what are some of the common mistakes that people will commit regarding structure very good question um before we head into the mistakes we have to take in con into consideration that storytelling isn't a science no matter how much i want it to be uh it's more like a craftsmanship so two people can look at the same wooden chair and one will think it's the greatest chair they ever saw, they ever saw and the other one will think it's a monstrosity and even if we pay them, they wouldn't bring it back home. And the same is true with stories. So one person's favorite book is another person's piece of trash. And so it's sometimes a bit hard to talk about mistakes in that context because a lot of it is open to interpretation. That being said, I totally think there are mistakes. <laughs> um, there are some things that are perfectible. Uh, so uh, a very common one that you see nowadays is uh, the uh, let's break everything sequence at the end of the movie. So every story is supposed to have a final clash between hero and antagonist near the end. And that clash can take many shapes, as long as the reader or the spectator or whatever uh, feels like the moment is decisive. But a lot of movies tend to go a more literal way. And you see a lot of blockbusters where the last 12 minutes of, or the of the movies is just like destruction of property. And this, to me, uh, says that the writer maybe wasn't confident enough in their writing. Maybe they didn't think they could pull off something a bit more emotional, a bit more subtle. Uh, or just basically quieter. So they defaulted into let's break stuff because when building topples, I think the spectator will understand that this is important. And in some cases it makes sense, sure, but 
usually there's another way to go and I'm really eager for the trends to move in that direction, in the direction of maybe let's not break the city. Uh, and uh, another very common mistake that's maybe a bit more of a beginner's mistake uh, is uh, not being able to make a character float. So either the writers will go all the way into the uh, jerk territory, which isn't good because when that happens, either redemption is impossible or feels forced and fake, and you've basically written yourself into a corner. Uh, or sometimes they just can't bring themselves to make a character float at all. And you end up with someone who learns a lesson but never has to change their behavior because they were already behaving as if they knew. So the learning moment really just doesn't resonate. It, it's not important in the end. Uh, but reaching the right zone is really not easy because you have uh, to take also into consideration like we said, everything is sort of a, a matter of opinion. So uh, making someone just float enough can be really hard. It's, it's a bit tricky, really. Um, so uh, yeah, there are a lot of common mistakes, but none of them are impossible to fix. Uh, everything can be improved. You just need to be able to see your mistakes. And that's why a teacher can be useful, because someone can point off what you did in a perfectible way, and uh, and once you know what you did wrong, well, you can improve. That's that's the beauty of it. The 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 the, the kind of order of things you're showing and telling us about and so on, uh, uh, can it be used for non-fiction books as well? If that makes sense, so can can it be used? Is it just fiction based, or is that same kind of process used for I don't know journals, scientific? Um, yeah. to, to some extent, yes. So mostly it's used in fiction. We, we can't really avoid that. Uh, but there are a lot of different branches of fiction. Sometimes we don't really think about, like, uh, like I mentioned, D&D campaign and, uh, uh, and fan fictions and stuff. So it's not only for novels, but even uh, outside the realm of fiction, uh, to some extent, storytelling is kind of everywhere. And you can totally use it for writing blog posts and uh, maybe not in uh, academic journals and stuff because that's more on the technical side of things. But yeah. as long as you're going to imply other people uh, to involve, sorry, other people's emotions, uh, yes, storytelling is going to be useful and it can uh, help you communicate in a way that's more uh, rel relatable and just uh, makes a bit more sense. But really, we're always sort of using stories, even when you're just telling a co a coworker that uh, some jerk cut into the line and was in front of you, and or your therapist was really cool today and they really understood even the parts that you weren't saying, that's still storytelling. That's already storytelling. So it's really everywhere. Yeah, I hadn't thought that before. That's My mind's going off now on little <laughs> pathways, but that's something I hadn't thought of before. I must confess. This is definitely something that I'm going to go away and think about because obviously, as uh, some people might know, um, I've been working on trying to write an autobiographical account of my journey, mm -hmm. you know, into addiction out the other side, discovering I was autistic, you know, and, you know, I've been looking at publishers and stuff like that. And obviously, in the process of writing it, this, this is something that I guess I sort of, you know, as, as I'm writing it, I, I would have sort of done this naturally. But yeah. now, that, now that I'm aware of it, it's something I'm probably going to look at even more. Um, 
because you just, uh, I, I guess, it, it, I guess this is why it's important in a sense for people to to learn about this stuff before engaging in in writing stories because exactly it's not always stuff that you would stop and think about you know some people might just jump in head first mm-hmm. throw a bunch of words onto a page and then panic when they think well actually this this, this doesn't make any sense and then because they've you know it might put people off because they'll think oh well I'm no good at this but actually with the right structuring and and everything I see what you mean anyone could could in theory write a novel if they just have the right structure and plan and yeah exactly exactly it's it's a bit like drawing uh, to some extent anyone can draw you just put a, a pencil to a paper uh, but it does help to have some classes too or at least some theory about what you're doing yeah so I guess with that in mind then you know let's uh, let's put a hypothetical forward uh, I'm a writer or I'd like to become one I heard what you were saying. So now where do I turn to get better at this? Very good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, so first thing first is really just trying to change the way you look at stories and to start developing your ana- analytical gaze. Uh, don't be passive when you take in a story, no matter the form. Just try and ask yourself consciously, uh, conscien- in a conscious way, <laughs> how it was built. Uh, I strongly recommend also that you read uh, John Truby's Anatomy of Story, which is like the definitive work on structuring. And you can also listen to uh, podcasts. Podcasts are very good. Uh, I recommend uh, the podcast Writing Excuses. Uh, Also, uh, Donald, sorry? I'm just saying lush. And and to people listening, we'll try and... um... But at the end, write this all down so we can put this in the notes that go with podcasts so people get your recommendations as well, which would be awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's a good idea because they're very good. Uh, I also recommend Donald Ma's Fire and Fiction, which is about tension, so not so much story structure, but really, really good. Um, and as a teacher, of course, I suggest you take a few writing workshops if you can, maybe a seminar or two. Uh, if someone would like to work with me specifically, uh, they can contact me directly, but I'm not the only writing teacher out there. I'm not the best either. So there are a lot of very competent people that can be contacted and that will help uh, with uh, just basically making you better. And like I said, it's a craftsmanship. So the more you practice, the better you're going to be at it. Um, and I think that maybe because a first novel and even the next novels after that takes so long to write, it's very tempting to assume that as soon as you have one, you're going to go ahead and try to publish it. Uh, but for one thing, maybe publication just isn't your goal. Maybe you just want to have fun with that and it's really cool. Uh, but also, if writing stories is your thing, you're going to write like a fuck ton of them. Oh, sorry. Can we swear on the podcast? It's okay. We can put a warning on the, that there's going to yeah. be some words. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sorry, I should have asked before. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to write a lot of stories, a really big lot of stories. And uh, a lot of them are going to suck big time. Like the first ones won't be any good. And that's normal. That's fine. Just keep going and you're going to get better at it. Keeping on writing is really the ultimate way to become a better writer. And the only truly bad writer, the one that can never improve, 
is the writer that doesn't write. And for those people, all hope is lost. But like for the rest of us, there's a redemption arc. We can be saved. And, and that's about it, really. Just go out there and write stories. That is brilliant, because that, that last bit was just like, yes, that is like, boom, big words of wisdom. Just do it. Go out there and do it. Don't not yeah. do it, because you're only going to get better if you try and do it. But so, I've got one more question to ask. Yeah. Sorry, David, go on. Uh, are you going to ask the last question, or... Because I've got... I've got a question before the last question. Okay, I have as well. So, David, you go first. Okay. Um, Well, actually, you go first, because mine kind of ties it up neatly. So... Right, last, okay. My my question is about uh, is there one novel book that 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 when you picked it up in, in my terms smelt perfect and just you just you know the, as the saying goes you couldn't put it down it moved you it changed part of your thinking process is there is can you choose one book out of I'm sure maybe many that just made you go oh. Wow, yeah. Um, so, can I pick two? Yes, no, you, you pick, pick two brilliantly, so yeah. yeah. by all means. Um, so, first one that really rocked my word uh, was uh, His Dark Material, the trilogy oh, yes. by Philip Pullman. Fantastic choice. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I was young. I was uh, exactly the same age as Lyra, I believe. I was the same type of personality. And it just like shook my world. Like you said, there was a before and an after. And I think I reread those books maybe 10 or yes. 20 times. I don't know. The, it just changed everything. And, uh, and much later, I found about uh, Terry Pratchett's work. And there was a shock, not so much about the stories, which were excellent, but mostly about the writing, because I had sort of a, is it a load to write like that? You can do that. People let you do that in that type of style. And it just really shook me as a writer as well as a reader. Awesome. So, yeah. Lush, thank you. Thank you. Now, see, yeah. Come on, so, David. You've, you've, you've given us some amazing uh, factoids and bits of information tonight. Um, so, you're, you you teach writing. Uh, yep. I believe you've written some novels as well. Yep. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the work you've done? Uh, where can people contact you if they want to speak to you about taking a lesson with you in writing? Where can people find your novels? So uh, not all of my novels are currently in publication because my previous publishing house um, went out of business and it wasn't my fault. I would like to underline that. <laughs> um, but uh, most of them can just be found wherever you buy books. So they, they are published in France. So they might not all be available in the UK, but I believe that with Amazon, you can just uh, circumnavigate those issues and get them. And you just tap my name into Amazon and I will pop up. Um, yeah, so, I've done it. Yeah. You are there. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on Amazon now and the internet. Put your name in. Uh, they, they are in French. <laughs> so non-French reader might have a hard time, but that might be a good opportunity to learn French. Uh, who knows? It's a great language. And uh, if you would like to work with me or just ask questions or stuff, I'm always uh, happy to help uh, just uh, with a few questions and no, no issues with that. And uh, you can easily find me on Facebook. And I have a, uh, um, a page 
uh, not my private page, my public one, the one that has author at the end, so writer. And, uh, and you can contact me there or you can contact me on my private page, I won't mind. Uh, so anyway, just find me on Facebook and scream at me there and uh, you, can, you can totally do that. And also if you speak French, uh, I've uh, worked with a platform that's called uh, Skidios. So that's like the word skill, but then an E-O-S and it will be written down, I believe in the podcast. And there are some uh, masterclasses that you can uh, buy and take online. So you can't ask questions there, but it's a lot of theory already. Or like I said, just come to me directly and we'll figure something out. And I'm always happy to uh, help new students or just uh, talk with people who like writing because as you guessed, writing stuff is kind of my jam. So I like yes. talking about we'll, we'll, it. We'll make sure um, if you can e email it to us, we'll make sure that all those public links you've mentioned uh, we put onto the podcast writing as well so people can can awesomely access you from there so so is it is it last question time david yeah take us oh take us home, it's take last us. question time the, the, I mean, the structure of the book the the stuff you've spoken about the some things i hadn't thought of before remind me of some books i read a long time ago your choice of favorite books are superb and authors <laughs> as well but my last question is what is your favorite stim that's an excellent question, and uh, I've given it some thought. And I believe it is putting on music and spinning in circles. Oh, classic! Uh, 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 it's beautiful. So, is it is it the same track, or is it? You know, do you, do you go through like in the same track for over a period of time, or is it? No, no. Just as long as it has the right rhythm to spin. You know, I wouldn't want to spin out of rhythm. It has to work with the rhythm. <laughs> definitely definitely that's that's a really good one actually i mean it's a classic but i don't think i've had anyone answer with that one before no. <clears throat> hey, well it does convey silly images <laughs> you can't have uh, picture the person spinning around <laughs> I, I must confess i was in a uh, the spinning around bit i went to get a there's a dog i adore called mrs pebbles and i've taken a particularly beautiful picture of her and i wanted to get it printed and framed which I've done. And in this Photoshop, they have one of those chairs. Yeah. You know, sorry, one of those chairs you can spin around on. Yeah. Yeah. And I sat in the Photoshop at the top of the town I live in. And I just spun on this chair and all of a sudden I stopped and I thought, yes, the owner of the shop is looking at this mid 50s guy smiling, spinning on a chair while he's waiting for the picture to come out. And I thought, yeah, spinning, it's such good fun. So yes. that, that, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. David, any, any last add-ons here no just thank you so much julie like you know as we we said the same thing on the last podcast as well but um or at least the last recording we did we don't know exactly what order all these are going to come out in um but uh it's just so wonderful to have autistic people come on and share their passions um you know the way you're just smiling whilst giving us all this information it just shows how passionate and dedicated you are to this interest and it's that's that's really what we wanted to celebrate with this podcast yes. so with that in mind this has been the especially interesting podcast with academy we were your hosts tigger pritchard and david gray hammond and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode so thanks for tuning in yay Bye.